Welcome back to Mission Outlook, podcast that changes your outlook on life. This is Pietro Rossini, Saverian Missionary. This episode is dedicated to interfaith or interreligious dialogue, and I invited a special guest to speak about this. He's a PhD in interfaith dialogue, Father Rocco Viviano. I hope that you will enjoy this episode. Keep listening to know more. So let's start. Hi Rocco, thank you to be with us today. I know that you are very busy. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, first of all, thanks Peter for the invitation. Sorry for making you wait. Uh, I'm very busy, so it's not easy to to arrange for a time, but I'm very glad for the opportunity to share about my ministry here in Japan as a very missionary. So I want to start with uh, your job. What are you doing there? Well, at the moment, because the, the number of missionaries here in Japan is decreasing and the areas of work are increasing, we younger ones, although I'm not very young, but I'm among <laughs> the youngest ones, we find ourselves with several responsibilities. Anyway, my main focus here, my, I was sent to Japan and assigned to full-time interreligious dialogue ministry. Rocco, you have been assigned by your superior to this mission of interfaith dialogue, interreligious dialogue. But I know that this is your passion. Where does your passion come from? Um, my interest in interreligious dialogue started when I was studying the basic theology before my, my, my bachelor's degree, still in Parma. And one of the optional courses was about interreligious dialogue. I've always felt attracted to the reality of engaging in, in relationship with faith, believers of other faiths. So I remember I, um, I chose interreligious dialogue as one of the main focuses of my examination before receiving my, my, my bachelor degree. And then the congregation sent me to London. I found myself doing two master's degrees at the same time in London. One was in missiology, one was in inter- theology of interreligious dialogue. So I completed my MA and then I was sent to the Philippines. And in the Philippines, I started teaching. At that point, the congregation realized that interreligious dialogue is one of the main focuses of our ministry in mission. So they took me, sent back to London to do my PhD and then sent me to Japan. And why Japan is so important for interreligious dialogue? In Japan, interreligious dialogue is fundamental because the majority of the population are not just non-Christians, but they are Buddhists, they are Shinto. And in recent decades, the number of people joining the so-called new religious movements are increasing. So it's, it's a priority. Of course, interreligious dialogue is so important in that context. And what are the objectives of interreligious dialogue? Among our objectives are, well, basically two. The most important one, before the engagement with other faiths, the, import, the most important objective of our commission is to provide the Catholics with opportunities to learn about not only the importance of interreligious dialogue, but how to live as Christians in a non-Christian environment, um, sure. having good relationship with other people in which they can, as Catholics, may, they may be, feel free to express their faith, but also to be open to learn and share the faith of the others. You have to consider that in Japan, 
the majority of Catholics are maybe alone in a family that does not practice Christianity. Sure. The, the workplace is also mainly non-Catholic. So um, people normally would tend to keep their Catholic faith, their Christian faith as private. Uh, and let's, Rocco, let's, go ahead. Um, what do you think is the, the most, the biggest challenge for a Christian who lives in a culture that is not Christian like the Japanese? Mm. Well, the question is important because it applies not just on uh, uh, to Japan uh, religiously. There are many other countries where Christianity officially is not the majority, of course. Exactly. But it's also true in the West now. It's also true in countries that were traditionally considered Christian. You know, even the US, I was reading an interview by someone the other day who said, well, we are a Christian country, even if we don't practice Yes. But in the Western societies as well now, the religious question has become marginal. Uh, so the most important thing, I think, for every Christian living in a society where the others don't share your faith is to know what you believe. Mm. So the first, I, I try, I always use paradoxes in order to attract people's attention when I'm speaking. And I say the best way you can become a person of dialogue as a Christian is to become a good Christian. You have to be aware of what you believe and believe it. And you need to find the motivations to, for engaging in dialogue with other faiths within your faith. So you think sometimes we have troubles in dialogue because we don't really believe firmly in I think, you know, our being Christian? Well, it's... Um, well, let's rephrase it because I cannot judge whether we believe or not. You know, it's it's personal. Well, I I would put it positively. So the more we know what we believe, the more the more strongly we believe it, the more uh, we become people of dialogue. Hmm. Put it very simply, even from the psychological point of view. Uh, well, I'll tell you a very short story. Um, my mother is not a theologian. <laughs> my mother is a Catholic, but he's a very balanced Catholic. He's a normal Catholic. You know? He's not one of those who's all the time in church saying rosaries. And it's a very balanced person, I think. But don't tell her. Don't tell her. You know, very, very proud. Um, many years ago, I was still in, it in Italy, I think. Uh, she received a visit from the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh-huh. Um, Many people, I'm not sure, well, we come from the same area. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what would be the behavior in the average in your, in, your, in your village. Certainly, my village, people will just try, okay, I'm not interested. What my mother did spontaneously was, without thinking of different religions or others, she welcomed them as, as persons, let them in, offered coffee, and then they started talking about their faith. And my mother was calm. Uh, without getting angry or defensive, he said, oh, yeah, it's okay, you can talk about it, but, you know, um, I am very happy with my faith, so I'm not afraid of listening to you, because in any case, I'm not going to change. Interesting. And they, they became friends, basically. So I think that's a very clear example of, you don't need to be a theologian, but you need to know what you believe. Uh, it's very... It's very simple. If you feel comfortable with it and happy with it, then the experience of the other can make you only grow. 
Mm-hmm. But if you are weak in your belief, you are not really understanding what you believe, then you are more in danger of being attracted to another religious experience. So maybe uh, if we are weak in our traditions, we can have also kind of fear then other beliefs can attract us and so we don't enter in dialogue can be that i think that is a lot that plays a very big part in the difficulties of establishing balance into religious relations normally we people tend to fall either in one extreme or the other mm-hmm. one extreme is a catholic saying oh buddhism is wonderful yes oh muslims pray five times a day Uh, making the other experience as the best, which makes you think, so why do you still remain a Catholic? Why don't you change? That's one extreme, but it's a, it's a, it's a psychological way of coping. Mm. It's when you need to recognize that the other is lovable in order to love them. The other attitude is extreme, and you know, all oh, the other religions are bad. Nothing is good in our fever and mm. faith. Uh, and that is also not balanced. Neither of these positions is the Christian position. What is the Christian position? The Christian position is to, to be realistic, I think. To be realistic and also allow yourself to be challenged by the commandment of love and the recommendation of Jesus say, you must love even your enemies, not i don't, I don't want to imply that people of other faiths are enemies. But I think the enemy there is to be interpreted as what I was saying earlier. What is not lovable? Mm. You have to make, you, if you don't, if you are not able to love what or who is not fully lovable, then you are not different from any other person, says Jesus to the disciples. What can make you special is that you love as I love, which is as the Father loves. In your experience of dialogue, uh, may you tell us uh, an experience where you find God that works in other religions or God that works in uh, people that are not Christians? Oh my goodness, that happens all the day, every time, all the time. You find in Japan a profound ethics of attention to the other person caring, being careful to the point of thinking twice, try three times, four times before speaking of what words to use so that the others may not get it wrong. So it's that kind of attention. It's a kind of culture where when you hand over something to another person, like a pen, for example, the Japanese person will turn the pen towards the person that it's easier to take for the other person <laughs> with a point. So that's the kind of attention. And if you think that that kind of ethics has developed without a Christian base, a Christian foundation, then you can only say that that is the work of God. Of course. The spirit across history, through culture, and through the religions that have shaped Japan. But also, on the other hand, we must be careful and recognize that their cultures and religions are also human products partly. And because they are human, they also carry the negative effect of the original sin. Therefore, nothing is completely bad and nothing is completely good. But the Spirit of God is at work everywhere. Uh, 
Rocco, I'm wondering, uh, we have talked about dialogue as being fully Christian and so love your neighbors as yourself and love your enemies, right? Uh, but then when we go into the concrete, like you are in dialogue with a Muslim or you are dialogue, dialogue with a Buddhist, um, how, for example, the dialogue with the um, Abrahamic faith is different from the Dharmic faith? Mm. Is there any difference? Is the same? Is just a matter of uh, attitude or there is something else? Well, uh, I'm, 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 I'm very picky on that. Uh, the question of uh, the, the very expression Abrahamic faith, it's very questionable. Okay. Um, I know it's, it's gone into fashion in the past 20 years, but I don't like to use it. Uh, Abrahamic faith is very controversial, so I'm not going to use it now. So I will say uh, the dialogue with the Jews and the dialogue with the Muslims. Are they different from the dialogue with other religions? Yes, they are. Now, the first thing I want to say is the dialogue is different with each religion. Mm. Uh, you cannot say, oh, dialogue with Jews and Muslims is one thing, and then for all the others, there is another way of doing dialogue. First, because religions, and that is, this is uh, obvious, you know, uh, I'm not saying anything original here. Religions do not exist. Mm. Their believers exist. So when you engage in dialogue with someone, something, you don't engage that with the religion. You engage in dialogue with one particular person who is a believer in that tradition. You engage in dialogue with a Buddhist or with a group of Buddhists. But also in that time, they are engaging with one Christian, with one Catholic. I don't represent the whole Catholic tradition of 2000 years. They, the encounter is always interpersonal. So that requires really, first of all, first level, attention to the other. And this brings me to your question. Attention to the other when I engage in dialogue means recognizing where they come from, where their faith comes from. And in the case of Judaism and Islam, there is not only a question of attitude, but it's a theological question that Judaism and, and Islam are theologically connected to us in a way that is different from the way Eastern religions, for example, are connected to Christianity for historical reasons. Where Judaism is the, is the unique case of dialogue. Um, even in, even in, in, in our Catholic talk and here in Catholic teaching, it has been it has been defined. I think it was John Paul II as an, a dialogue within the family. Sure, we come from there, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different experience of dialogue with the Jews. There is something there that we are connected at the level of our spirituality, at the level of our faith. And John Paul II, and especially Benedict the Sixteenth. No, I, I studied a lot of this because it was the object of my doctoral thesis. Benedict mm -hmm. insists the dialogue with Judaism is unique. And that's why Abrahamic faith is a bit misleading. The dialogue with Islam is also special for us, but is not at the same level as the dialogue with Judaism. Sure. Because we are one family, basically. With big differences, because not recognizing Christ as the Messiah is a big difference. 
But nevertheless, we come from the same root. And that is makes special. Islam is also special because of the monotheistic faith. Mm. It's very different when there is a faith, not just in one God, because you have monotheism, uh, forms of monotheism also in Indian religions, for example. Mm. But it's the one particular God of Islam that has the same characteristics of the one particular God of Christianity and Judaism, that is a God that creates, a God that engages in dialogue with us, speaks through us, through the prophets. And the God who speaks to us to save us and gives us an ethical code in order to follow his way. So it's a, it's a, it's a special relationship in that sense. So we find our unique stand in the dialogue with Islam at that level. And with the others, we rely on our being human beings created by God. Interesting. I learned a lot of things. By the way, by the way what I am saying um, it's not just the fruit of my own reflections. Hmm. I, I, am, I must say that I'm quite proud of saying that all my reflections are based not only on personal experience, but also on the official teaching of the church. So what, what you are saying, this experience of dialogue is not just uh, Father Rocco Viviano experience, but the church. What, what's exactly. the teach, what, the, what is the teaching of the church, right? Exactly, exactly. That is, I think, it's very important thing because, you know, it's very, it's very easy for people in my position to become sort of heroes. Hmm. But it's very nice because you make a hero, you are at the same time, simultaneously, you are saying, well, he or she is a hero. It means I can never be like them. Exactly. Therefore, I'm safe. I can be the ordinary Catholic going to Mass and swearing against Jews and Muslims and people of the faith. Uh, the making heroes is a way out of responsibility sometimes. And Rocco, according to what you just said, do you think that um, interfaith, interreligious dialogue is still something marginalized in the church? Well, uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, I can say, concretely, it is. If you count the resources we invest in religious dialogue in the church globally, then you, we have to say, yes, it is still uh, quite neglected. But I can say that, uh, yes, we are still not giving enough attention to this aspect, probably because we, uh, not, we don't understand it uh, yet as an integral important part of Christian life. Um. Last question, it's not strictly related to our topic, the interfaith dialogue, but in this time, I can't avoid this question. Uh, we are living in a time of pandemic mm -hmm. and uh, this pandemic challenged everybody. So in your perspective as a man of dialogue, uh, there is something that this pandemic can teach us. There is something that we can learn from this challenge that everybody around the world is facing? Hmm. Oh, sure. Well, first of all, you call me a man of dialogue. I'm flattered, but I'm not sure I deserve the title. I was speaking of becoming persons of dialogue. I'm not sure I'm, I'm trying to be. Uh, several lessons, I think, are coming. Uh, well, having to choose one. Well, I look at my experience here. 
since the pandemic started in Japan, we had to cancel many of our events. In our diocesan calendar, we have eight interreligious dialogue activities every year involving the common, the ordinary faithful. The invitations are sent to all the parishes, all the religious communities, and also Protestants. So it's open to everyone. We had to cancel eight of these events. Mm. Uh, and the first very practical realization is probably something that we take for granted. You can't really have a dialogue if you cannot meet with people. I can say our encounters with people. Encounters happens at different levels. Mm -hmm. Encounter happens with someone you meet in the lift and you just say good morning, or with the, your loved ones, or with a friend, the different kinds of engagement. And one thing I've realized that maybe in the Catholic Church, we might risk falling into the trap of having a lot of meetings just to feel busy, that we are doing something. Uh, and maybe the pandemic has helped me to realize which encounters are essential and maybe which ones are not so essential. Some of them are even useless. But then it's, you know, I'm quite radical in, uh, in saying things. Maybe I'm realizing that uh, I want to invest more time in encounters, interpersonal encounters where uh, there is a real exchange of experience of faith. It's not just with interreligious dialogue, everybody, right. rather sitting around the table, doing this planning and deciding and discussing money and other things. It's all important. Planning is very important. But I think the pandemic has made me really appreciate the importance of the interpersonal encounter. Nice. Uh, last thing, uh, you want to launch a message for our listeners, something that from your experience can be helpful for who is listening to us. My invitation to all my fellow believers, Christians, not just Catholics, is to make an effort to become more and more aware of what we believe. Um, the more we become aware of the content of our faith, then we, we change, we change, and we become people of dialogue. And that is very important, not only in the field of interreligious relations, it's very important, it's essential, if we, if we really want to make a difference in this world. That's great. Thank you so much, Rock, really. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And thank you to our listeners as well. May this interview help us to become more people of dialogue and change our outlook on life. Because life is always a matter of outlook. <laughs>